thầy hang
Welcome, welcome. It's Wild Wednesday indeed. Welcome to the Fire Army Clubhouse. Today's broadcast is all about what is a smart contract. So I hope you stay tuned, stick around, and we're going to give it a few minutes, play some music, have some good tunes, and wait for the room to fill up. Hang out, and make sure you share the broadcast if you can, and hey, give me a follow on Clubhouse. You can hear all Web3 topics and more as we explore all things metaverse and Web3 and blockchain and all. Alright, so hold on. A smart contract is a computer program or a transaction protocol that is intended to automatically execute, control, or document legally relevant events and actions according to the terms of a contract or an agreement. The objectives of smart contracts are the reduction of need for trusted intermediaries, arbitration costs, and fraud losses as well as the reduction of malicious and accidental exceptions. Smart contracts are commonly associated with cryptocurrencies, and the smart contracts introduced by Ethereum are generally considered a fundamental building block for decentralized finance, also known as DeFi, and NFT applications. Vending machines are mentioned as the oldest piece of technology equivalent to smart contract implementation. The original Ethereum white paper by Vitalik Buterin in 2014 describes the Bitcoin protocol as a weak version of the smart contract concept as originally defined by Nick Salzberg and purposes a stronger version based on the Solidity language, which is Turing complete. Since Bitcoin, various cryptocurrencies support scripting languages, which allow for more advanced smart contracts between untrusted parties, smart contracts should be distinguished from smart legal contracts, where the latter refers to traditional natural language legally binding agreements that have selected terms expressed and implemented in machine-readable code. Stick around. We're going to definitely learn more today.
So why do we care about a smart contract? Well, because it's Web3, of course. Duh. <laughs> we all want to know what this new tech, this new wave, this new thing that's coming. We all want to know more about it, right? And that's why you're here today. Because understanding more about smart contracts will help you know more about the user side of it, the application side of it. So you can decide how to use it as a product for yourself as a business or a consumer. And you know what to look for. That way you can stay safe. So when it comes to the most famous use case example of smart contracts, we have the Ethereum chain, right? Ethereum is one of the strongest cases because of the scale that it grabbed hold to and the amount of time. We all know who the OG is in the market, Bitcoin. We know who the OG granddaddy of them all is, right? But we also know that Bitcoin also had a fork. And that fork, ladies and gentlemen, is Litecoin. The reason for the fork was always a security protocol. Claimed the major network owners and users of Litecoin. But when Vatalik made his comments about how it really wasn't, you know, as secure as everyone could say it was, then it kind of rang the alarm, I guess, in a sense, across the market. And then people started to adapt quickly that Ethereum is solidity coding and making their own tools and their own smart contracts. But smart contracts were first proposed in the early 1990s by Nick Zaspell, who coined the term using it to refer to as a set of promises specified in digital form including protocols within which parties perform on these promises and then in 1998 the term was used to describe objects and rights management service layer of the system the stanford infobus which was a part of the stanford digital library project so if you want to go look that up, check out the Stanford Digital <laughs> Library Project and you can go cross-reference what Nick Zaspo did in 1990 and look under the sub-interests of the Stanford Infobus. But yeah, it's essentially, in quote, as again, let me say it again, rights management service layer. That is what you're looking at when it comes to smart contracts. And this is how we know that when people used them in NFTs, NFT rug projects, they were used and applied and abused wrong. So this is a way for you today to get that base knowledge information so that you can make sure you're applying it right. And again, you know what signs to look for because now you know how it works, right? Well, that's what we hope by the end of the broadcast. So <laughs> hang in there, stay tuned. And then we're going to talk about the legal status of the smart contracts and why that matters most. Hang in there.
So, let's talk about the legal side of things. Smart contract does not necessarily constitute a valid binding agreement of law. Some legal academies claim that smart contracts are not legal agreements, but rather means of performing obligations deriving from other agreements, such as technical means for the automation of payment obligations or obligations consisting in the transfer of tokens or cryptocurrency. Now, other scholars have also argued that the imperative or declarative nature of programming languages can impact the legal validity of smart contracts. So right here is where I'm going to take a pause as my coworker and I the other day had a excellent conversation. We were talking about how certain terminologies within the market is not necessarily being adopted properly or even goes into the same meaning. Meaning, when you hear the word token, what does that mean to you? Because what the word token itself may mean for someone else or for that community, it may not necessarily mean the same thing for you or for the application that you're using it for. So what is a token as a whole? That's where one of our first terms of the day pops up and help you out and give you this sweet, awesome tip so that you know exactly what you're dealing with when you hear the word. So, Wizard gave me a definite ping when he said this, and I guess it made the most sense for people who are not developers. Developers, we know what we're looking at. Coders, we know what we're looking at. For the people who don't do that, they may not know what they're looking at, so the language is, of course, different. But a token, in a sense, given what was Wiz's general understanding and knowledge and definition is, and we have a lovely PDF full of terms with all of these terms we're talking about today, and we'll make it available to you guys later after the broadcast. But a token itself, unlike a coin, a token is a digital asset created on an existing blockchain. Tokens can represent digital and physical assets or interact with DApps. That is the general overall market understanding and concept as to what a token is in relation to cryptocurrency. If you go into CoinMarketCap and ask them, they say a token is a digital unit designed with utility in mind, providing asset in use of a larger crypto economic system. Now, let me tell you my definition. As a programmer coder, right? As a dev, when we see the word token, we know that just means secured access. It's permission. It's a set of unique encrypted code specific to that user that gives permission. It may give permission to another user due to interactions and other prompts. Depends. What type of token is it? Those are the questions we ask normally. Because security token, for example, is what you already use every day when you sign in through your SSO. If you've ever used the SSO login, you've already logged in with the token. 
is that the same as when you're getting cryptocurrency? So this is kind of why we need to go hard in having better, broader, applied concepts and definitions and just understanding of what those different definitions are, industry and term-wise and application and usage. It makes a difference. And then there's token-generated events, which is pretty much what your SSO does. I can't even get into it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you a headache today. Let's pick up. <laughs> but you get my point. Making sure that when you're reading smart contracts and you hear the word token, you need to understand what type of token that is, what type of execution that it's doing, and the legality and the validity of the smart contract itself. So let's move on then into the legal status again, since one of the major players in this, the, the Web3 world right now is on the run, and we will definitely get to that later as we talk about a little crypto news highlight. But since 2015, the launch of the Ethereum blockchain, the term of smart contract has been more specifically applied towards the notion of general purpose computation that takes place on a blockchain or distributed ledger. The United States National Institute of Standards and Technology describes a smart contract as a collection of code and data, sometimes referred to as functions and states, that is deployed and using cryptography, signed transactions on the blockchain network. As you can see, right here, in this paragraph alone, there's three different interpretations as to what that means, or could mean, or how it could be applied. So, in this specific interpretation, used for example by the Ethereum Foundation or IBM, a smart contract is not necessarily related to the classical concept of a contract, but can be any kind of a computer program. I would say that's the most accurate. A smart contract can also be regarded as a secured, stored procedure as its execution and codified effects, like the transfer of value between parties are strictly enforced and cannot be manipulated. After a transaction with specific contract details is stored into a blockchain or distributed letter, a ledger, it cannot change. So, that's because the actual execution of contracts is controlled and audited by the platform, not by arbitrary server-side programs connecting to the platform. So in 2017, by implementing the decree of development and digital economy, Belarus has become the first ever country to legalize smart contracts. Belarusian lawyer Denis Altanov is considered to be the author of a smart contract legal concept introduced by decree. Now that you know that information, do you feel any type of way? No. Because most of us are still trying to figure out how to apply the little bit of knowledge that we do have. So, hey, you're not alone. This is the time to get the info, get the know-how, know what you're dealing with, and what you're looking at. 2018, the U.S. Senate said, while smart contracts might sound new, the concept is rooted in basic contract law, usually the judicial, judicial system, <clears throat> educates contractual disputes and enforcement terms, but it is also commonly to have another arbitration method, especially for international transactions. With smart contracts, a program enforces the contract built into code. A number of states in the United States have passed legislation, however, on the use of smart contracts, such as Arizona, Nevada, Tennessee, and Wyoming. And at the end of April 2020, Iowa's House of Representatives passed a bill legally recognizing smart contracts in the state. 
So in April 2021, right, not too long ago, the UK jurisdiction <clears throat> digital dispute resolution rules also helped enable the rapid resolution of blockchain and crypto legal disputes within Britain. There where we are right there. That's it. That's where we are on the legal side of things. So when you know this, you know that gives you a lot of options for the utility of it. Yes, it's also old. It's not new, folks. It's how you're applying it that makes it new. The actual application of it is what's changing. That's where you get control in Web3. Because again, we put this big tech into the hands, you, the small consumer, the average person. So what are you going to do with this knowledge? What are you going to do with this information? What are you going to build? That's the question that's left. And with that, we're going to go into how exactly this goes into the blockchain, right? <laughs> because now that you know more about the background of the smart chain, I bet you wonder now more about, okay, exactly how does that apply to the blockchain? How do I apply it to the blockchain? Let me know what to do next, Jade. What's up, Fire Army? Let me know how to use this information so I can go out into the universe today on Wild Wednesday and go achieve something great. So definitely, I got that info for you. We're going to talk a little bit about Ethereum, Solidity, and OG Bytecode. Yeah, one of my fan faves, and seriously. But um, yeah, I have some more of those fun facts and terms for you today to drop too. So make sure you stick around. And if you want that free PDF with the terminology, I'm going to drop a form, fill it out, shoot your email, and I'll make sure to manually drop that guys to you tonight. Thank you for listening and for being here. We definitely appreciate you hanging out and sticking around. And I want to open the floor for a few minutes before we play some uh, music. Dred, did you have any comments about anything that you have heard or any ways that you've used any of that information before professionally? Um, <laughs> no, you caught me at a bad time, but... Personally, no, I'm kind of a student, being a student here today. So I just find all the uh, information uh, relevant. I'm going to try to share it to the most people I can. Um, just shoot me that link because I am getting a couple of people that are asking for it, for the terminology, which is good. It's, I'm glad people are interested in um, the space. So. Let's, let's keep it up. For sure. Thank you for that feedback. And yeah, definitely got that PDF ready for you guys today. <laughs> and it's fall. Thank you for hanging. And we got those sweet autumn tunes playing. And again, we're going to pick it up. We're talking about how the smart contract actually applies to blockchain. Stick around. So similar to a transfer of value on a blockchain, deployment of a smart contract on a blockchain occurs by sending a transaction from a wallet 
to the blockchain. <laughs> the transaction includes the compiled code for the smart contract as well as the special receiver address. That transaction must then be included in a block that is added to the blockchain, at which point the smart contract's code will execute to establish the initial state of the smart contract. So, certain algorithms secure the contract in a decentralized way from attempts of tampering. Once a smart contract is deployed, it can't be updated. So, smart contracts on the blockchain can store arbitrary states and execute arbitrary computations. End clients interact with a smart contract through transactions. Such transactions in a smart contract can evoke invoke other smart contracts. These transactions might result in changing the state and sending coins from one smart contract to another or from one account to another. But the most popular blockchain for running smart contracts is Ethereum. On Ethereum, smart contracts are typically written in a Turing completing program called Solidity. So, and it's compiled into low-level bytecode that's executed through the Ethereum virtual machine. And then there it is, it flies. <laughs> you can run it after that through Simplicity, Scylla, Ivy, and Bitcoin script. But the measurements on using regular expressions only show that about 40% of the Ethereum smart contracts included recursions and loops. Constructs connected to the halting program made problems. And a lot of people who use Ethereum right now have been upgrading their contracts and their systems. So this is why we're talking about it now. So you can just kind of look more into it before you get that framework set up so that you don't find yourself running into a problem five, 10 years down the road. And again, so we have Ethereum that implements um, its language on the blockchain and it's a prominent you know, framework for smart contracts. And then there's Bitcoin that uses a script language. That allows the creation of custom smart contracts on the Bitcoin, like um, uh, multi-signature accounts, payment channels, escrows, time locks, atomic, cross-chain trading, oracles, and multi-pays without operator. And that's why it was definitely one of those things that was used for DAOs. Um, and Binance Smart Chain is a blockchain that performs four smart contracts. Cardano, on the other hand, is a proof-of-stake blockchain that performs four smart contracts. And so on for Solana, Avalanche, Tron, Tesos, and EOS.io. The processes on a blockchain are generally deterministic in order to ensure fault tolerances. But nevertheless, real-world applications of smart contracts, such as like lotteries, for example, uh, the technology would have to be in there to reduce certain costs for conducting a lottery. Therefore, it's beneficial for the participants to have certain things set up and random itemized things, of course, within their chain to be implemented as well. So with that, there is definitely a lot of other um, strategies used, and one of them being Nash. Definitely you fell into Nash by using hash on a whole other thing. So see how a rabbit hole can just go from one end to another, and then boom. You learn about yourself within a short 30, 40 days, and you don't even know how you got there, but you are. So... <laughs> Again, a lot of the things that I talked about today, you'll have those terminologies in the PDF. And just kind of moving into the application side of it, um, picking back up from where we were talking about with Nick Zosbo in 1988, he was proposing the smart contract infrastructure could be implemented and then replicated asset registries and contract execution using the cryptographic hash chain. That's where we are. We're looking at a large part of the market, a third of our market, on replicated data. 
And with that, it is running into the same problems because if you had one exploit within that code, you have that same exploit within that code throughout the market, throughout everyone who's using it, which is why a lot of people right now are switching chains, moving chains. Now, we also know that Ethereum just went through its recent merge. And this is part of why it's going through ETH two layer protocol so that it can offer different security measures as it knows it has problems with that original source code. But this original source code application and methodologies of it is sound. We can't say that it doesn't work. We just saw $3 million get sent overseas to Ukraine in the beginning of the war. And that all started on a Web3 network, on Instagram, on social media, on WhatsApp, on all of these other places, TikTok, people donated NFTs, crypto, donated them to addresses and sent it to different families in Ukraine in the beginning of a war with Putin. The community decided it so in 24 hours, they did it, they organized, they made lists, they made channels, they got it done, they executed, they sent the money. Our world's governments never would have executed that as quickly. So we know that it works. Now what? Well, it works, but it has errors. Everything does. We can't even say that our political systems are sound 100%, but they work. They work to a degree to deliver results, deliver progress. And that's what we're talking about. Ethereum still made enough progress for us to now take that product and to go manipulate it and to go create new markets. So now as we're doing that and we're considering raising new blockchains, how are we going to write our smart contracts to make sure the actual application side of it is sound? We'll get into that next. And then I'll hit you with a crypto story because I, I just can't let it go today. I'm, I just can't. But I'm going to hit you with a crypto story at the end of our broadcast today and a few of those terminologies for about five minutes or so and then open up the floor. So make sure you stick to about 15 minutes out. So, now that we know we have security issues, how do we deal with them? Blockchain information is visible to all users, right? However, this leads to the situation with bugs. The largest attack we kind of ran into most recently is with one of the DAOs, a decentralized autonomous organization, DAL. Approximately $50 million worth of Ether had been stolen. While the developers came to a solution, they still had to get a consensus on getting it done and agreed on. 
After that, they were able to institute certain things within that network to prevent that type of attack from happening again. However, other high-profile attacks, including multi-signature wallets and interledger attacks, had started happening in 2018 and totaled out an excess of $184 million. Make sure that you have a contract that is an actual smart contract and not a copy. Because if it has a copy, it has an exploit. If it has an exploit, I can steal your money. I can steal your money. I can steal your code. I can steal your life. I can steal your legacy. So be smart about what it is you're building. And if you need smart contracts, hit us up in the fire army. You need a good lead. You need a place to go. You want a team to find. You want somebody to do it for you. Hit us up. You don't have to go to Fiverr. We'll give you some good resources and information. Make sure you follow us. In our Discord, make sure you follow us on our social media pages so that you always have the latest info and the know. Now, the differences from smart legal contracts. Smart legal contracts are distinct from smart contracts, as mentioned above, because... <clears throat> One is legally enforceable as a contract, and on the other hand, a smart legal contract has all the elements of a legality enforceable by local jurisdiction that you can run through a local tribunal or a court. Therefore, with every smart legal contract will contain some elements of a smart contract, but not every smart contract will be a smart legal contract. There is some formal definition of a smart legal contract in the legal industry, but a Bacardian contract is a type of smart legal contract that you can look up and kind of get an example on that. So, again, you just got your free first gym nug here, right? Go check that out and you'll kind of see what the smart legal contract looks like and then use that in a comparison to an Ethereum chain con contract, which you can find readily available anywhere. Literally, you can Google that and you will get a straight, strong example of it and projects tied to it as well. So that's a quick way to get a crash course and to check out some of those references. And um, again, we'll have that PDF ready for you guys tonight. Right now, we're going to talk about some news. Okay, okay, okay. You know that the founder for Luna has been on the run. He's been on the run amid the recent scandal going on with his chain. He most recently made an announcement publicly. So I invite you to go check that out. And I'm going to make sure to post it on our Twitter as well. Now, Crypto.com receives regulatory approval to launch operation in France. Whoa. So earlier today, Crypto.com announced that it has been registered as a digital asset provider by the Atois de Marchand Francaise AMF. If I had to say it in English, probably Atois des Marchandes Franciers. Yeah. AMF. Following clearance from the Atois de Contrôle Potentiel et de Résolution, ACPR. The journey to receiving the licensing started with a Singapore-based company and has expanded its reach over into France. So, 
they are expanding crypto.com which is crazy because out of all the big guys we thought between finance crypto.com coinbase we would definitely see some movement from the other two first before we saw from crypto.com given all of the hurdles that they had recently but sounds like they are definitely making progress amid the bear market yes we're still in it it happens all the time this is one of the bad ones, but hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're stick in there and make sure that we're saving our assets, we're putting them up where we need to put them up, right? Make sure that you're getting your gains as much as possible daily. You skim as much as possible. If you don't know about skimming, if you don't know about day trading, then I definitely invite you to go check out FCC Crypto. KRJ is like Bob.com. He definitely helped us learn so much months ago, like about how to deal with the bear market and different tools and everything. And then, of course, there's always Pionix. It's a good trading tool as well for all of the professional traders who want to go ahead and get their free let with some margining trading crypto-based bots. Let me know. I'll send you the code, and we'll get you that info and get you rolling. Um, we've also got some great tutorials on YouTube for that as well. So you can check that out. Make sure you go visit Firearms YouTube and look at all those great tutorials. So... Four reasons why POS is the future of eco-friendly cryptos. No, I don't mean point of sale, unfortunately. Ha ha ha, fooled you. No, I mean proof of stake. So proof of work versus proof of stake is the big terminology right now for the next five minutes. The reason why is because when you go and look at different chains, you got to know what that chain's operation is, I guess, overall. And not all of them do the same thing. That's the proof of work and proof of staking. You also have a few other proof of, and we're gonna talk about them right now for the next slide. <laughs> so the proof of authority is a blockchain consensus mechanism that delivers comparative fast transactions using identity as a stake. That is one way. People don't use it. <laughs> I don't even have to tell you why, because yeah. But proof of stake, you have as a blockchain consensus mechanism in order um is an addition to the proof of work that maintains the integrity of the blockchain. So that's what your proof of stake's point is. And then the PAL, which is the proof of work, is a blockchain consensus mechanism involving solving the computational and sensible puzzles to validate the transactions and create new blocks, thus proof of stake. So with you knowing these two definitions now, and we're talking about why proof of stake is the most important for projects to survive, it's because majority of them are, you know, they're, they're Ethereum-based, they're Ethereum-based contracts, smart contracts, and they're going to be running on that proof of work system. So with people now coming into that new level, they may be able to move into certain areas of proof of stake validity protocols, but the whole attitude has to change in the market. So many people predict that the shift spells is not good fortune for investors due to needing better security, but it's good for an environmental outcome. So it's just pretty much trying to understand why the proof of work, which is relying on solving the computational problem problems, right? How to incorporate that as the front runner and not the back versus it being the backbone of the blockchain. So that strategy demands that the mining entities expand extreme energy in high hash rates to prove their involvement in generating the solutions that trigger block generation. So that's the pretty much the hurdle <laughs> right now for the market. 
the creation of that is the big thing that you need to get done and you have to have the right solutions in place to do it and then the creation of the mining pools that collectively share the computational burden involved creates high power consuming units that demand optimal operating time so consequently the reliance on the fossil fuels has steadily increased with the increased participation of new nodes these are in regions where those are still being used as a primary energy source. So to me, someone here is the average American, it would seem to me that the average solution for that is a solar panel. If we had more solar or alternative energy-based solutions in place for blockchain raising and development security even, then we wouldn't have to worry about the energy or the carbon footprint escalating as we're trying to build and create new blocks. So. I say that because, as we found out when the Ukraine war started, right, a lot of people mine and have servers and everything else and rigs and miners set up there in the Ukrainian region, the Russian region, and the European regions. They're more dominant over there as far as having that set up as mining, but the projects and the other things are more dominant here in the U.S. space, and then the actual users and supporters are more dominant in other regions such as Asia, India, Australia, Canada. So we are the two big dogs in the market. Again, even though we know that's less than 1% of the world's population, that's still the two main entities that runs the world population is also the two main entities starting Web3. I yield the floor. If you guys would like to give a comment, this would be the time. We have three minutes left into our broadcast before I throw on some tunes and some jams. But I thank you guys for being here, for listening, for being receptive. I hope you take this knowledge well and carry it with you throughout your day. And this is Shade, giving you all the tech dev specs and terminology on this wild Wednesday. I'm going to open up the floor and you guys go ahead and knock it out. Thank you. 